the whole story is surrounding. May I remind you, a, a piece of someone's blood, a piece of a twenty, or I'm sorry, a piece of a twenty-four year old's bone. Okay, he died a hundred years, <laughs> yeah, hundred twenty years ago. A vial of blood <laughs> and hair, mm-hmm. and it's like strands of hair. Uh, one thing, it was a. It sounds like the behavior of creepy stalkers. Yeah, or like someone who's like in an occult. Like mm-hmm. some strange falling, like let's get some of their hair and a vial of their blood <laughs> and some of their bones. Yeah. Like we'll get some toenails too, you know? Yeah. Like that's and crazy I have talk. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. I have a pretty dope story, unless you guys have anything. I want to hear your story. Mike? Let's hear it, man. Cool. So today we had, in the JP2 chapel, they had the relic of John Paul II's blood. Okay? And I didn't know... I mean, there's a first-class relic in the JP2 chapel um, already, which is a few strands of his hair. And so I didn't know like what the big deal was with with this but it's been like traveling around so it's a few a few other parishes in the area um this week so anyway i saw that there were some sisters in there and then someone said at lunch they were like yeah the the relic is here just for a few hours so if you want to go you know and say a prayer like in front of it or whatever you can so i go and um i had class so it was just gonna be a, a quick trip and i thought they were just gonna have it like displayed maybe on the altar and you could just go in the chapel but there's like a fair amount of people not from the seminary community there praying, which was cool. But you, you go in and there was a line and they had it like displayed, um, right. As like, you're going into the, um, the sanctuary. And so anyways, just this little vial of his blood, which was awesome. But one of the sisters, they were sisters of the pierced heart, I think was their names, but they, um, she handed me a prayer card and she was like, okay, when you get up there, take out any like religious objects that you want to, and you can touch them to the relic and they'll become a third class relic. And you'll have time to say a prayer, you know, there with the relic. So I was like, okay, sweet. So I, um, I got to go up to my room right quick and grab some stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I took off like the, I wear a, uh, miraculous medal and then a, a St. Paul medal around my neck all the time. So I took it off and then I had the prayer card as well. So I get up there and um, it was crazy. So literally, I, I like I'm like two or three people back in line, and one of the sisters was a girl who used to be a focus missionary at the University of Illinois. Wow! Do you remember Emily? Last name Malay. Mm, doesn't ring a bell. What she might have been there like the year after you left. Probably. I think she was only there for a year. I'm pretty sure, and I can't remember her religious name now. But she's been. Like, she's been a religious, I bet, five years at this point. Um, So it was just, like, the the coolest thing uh, to walk up there, and I see Emily. crazy coincidence. Yeah, and so I went up and gave her a hug, and she's like, how are you, you know, blah, 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 and just caught up, like, for two seconds. And then the other sister that was up there, like, took my prayer card and my medals, and she touched them to the relic for me. And then what they, the two sisters that were up there by the relic, they were actually praying over people with the relic which i had like no idea before i got up there so it was it was awesome like very very powerful moment so of all people 
um, I wish I knew her. I can't remember her uh, religious name now, but like my old friend Emily, you know, in her habit, like hadn't That's seen awesome. her for years. Like, and they're I, like uh, custodians of this <clears throat> relic? I don't know. I, I actually, I don't know. I would like to inquire more after having this experience of why they were with it. I don't mm-hmm. think so. Like, I don't think they're full-time custodians. Maybe they are for like this Chicago. little, little yeah, trip around Chicago. Or I don't know if the relic is going to like other places in Illinois in the province. or. Mm-hmm. But your I'm friend sure. was traveling with the relic <laughs> while she was here. Well, I mean, she, she actually works that order that she's with. She's working in the Peoria Diocese okay. right now. So she certainly isn't in Chicago full-time. So they were at least with it this week for a specific um purpose um so it's really really cool so i put my hand on the relic and just had the opportunity to pray and they had playing in the chapel they had playing like just some really cool music and then like after every song it would go into jp2 speaking but him speaking in english so it's just like this masculine you know, Polish accented voice, like <laughs> telling you about Jesus and that like you have worth and like he loves you, you know? So I'm saying a prayer with this, this relic. And then, um, so Emily puts her hand on my shoulder and just, you know, like very quietly starts saying a prayer over me. Um, so it's really cool. It's all about just like letting God lead and, um, kind of like letting, letting him take me by the hand step by step and never being afraid and always like just asking for the grace to always say yes to Christ, no matter what. Um, so it's really cool. And just one thing. So, I mean, that story in itself, the fact that like, I knew this nun that Mm -hmm. was happened to be the one that said the prayer over me in front of the JP two relic. Um, and you have a pretty strong devotion to him, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, huge, you know, he died on my 18th birthday. Um, Oh, you share a birthday with my mother. Really? April 2nd? April 2nd. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. Um, <clears throat> well, I'm honored. Tell her happy birthday on oh, April <laughs> April 2nd. I was super disappointed. We always when... told her she was born a day late. Well, yeah, that's true. I was only born 24 minutes into April 2nd, Oof. or I would have been an April Fool's baby. Narrowly avoided it. Yeah, exactly. Anywho. Um, oh, so on. I remember, though, on uh, my 18th birthday at the time, you know, senior in high school, like, we went to mass, but wasn't like, you know, ultra interested in being Catholic or anything like that. But I had seen JP two when he was in St. Louis. So I was like in person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. I never did. Um, I've yeah. never seen any of the popes actually. Really? Mm-mm. Wow. Um, yeah, I guess it's been a blessing. Have I you, Mike? See... You are a loser yeah. in this room. You are the biggest loser. Cause I How's was in St. Louis as Dang. well. How's I that... saw him. How's that feel? I feel tiny, small man. Good. Yeah. yeah. Live in uh, reality, son. Live yeah, in you reality. They're really building me up. <laughs> <laughs> you will know they are Christians by all of. Well said. Well said. Um, so I had seen, but I remember at the time, and was that like 1998, I think, he came to St. Louis. And my family won each parish in the Springfield Diocese, got like two families from each parish, won tickets to go see him. Man, did you get Pope jerseys too? Oh, I wish, man. Should have. Um, But my dad still talks about it. Like, when he came, so we weren't, like, we didn't have good seats or anything like that. But he came probably from me to you, like a matter of five feet, like in the Pope mobile. He drives by. Wow. And I still, that's one of the memories that I still have. And, like, my dad will say, you know, um, 
I think it was an experience for him that he had never like has nothing else to relate to just because so there was just something different like as he went by you know just the experience of a saint mm-hmm. um he's super old by this point right yeah i guess he would he had still had seven years of life so i mean it wasn't oh you were last... a kid then you were 11 yeah i would have been 10 or 11 yep. yeah and See I the math like... i did there because he died on his 18th birthday <laughs> yeah that was pretty good oh yeah nice nice um but anyway and and even when i was 18 like he he dies and i remember like having it on and knowing it was a big deal and I remember, though, even then relating back to seeing him in St. Louis because tons of the stuff they gave out, like, in the programs and things like that in St. Louis were um, honestly, like, just, like, celebrating that he was, like, such a dude, like, such a good man in that he was an athlete and he was an actor. And he gave, you know, everything up in order to, to call, follow the call of the priesthood in his life. And so I, I remember even then just having, like, this big attraction to him and like felt very close to him at the time and throughout the whole process to come to seminary he played a huge huge role and then with father baron putting in his chapel here and um yeah it's just been it's been really really cool so but anyway then so that experience today was cool enough in itself that i get to go like say a prayer with this um with this first class relic a vial of his blood and then, like, my old friend Emily is there to say um, to say a prayer with me. So I had this experience of realizing, um, you know, just kind of in a moment of clarity, a moment of grace, whatever you call it, that, like, we're not, we're not alone, like, in this, mm-hmm. you know, to realize, like, all these things have been in play, you know, um, for years. Like, the, um, the fact that, like, my friend Emily... Like her whole life story, um, and her call to religious life and her call to holiness led her right there today, so that she could say a prayer over me, with the vial of blood of this Polish priest who gave up everything to follow Jesus. You know, a long time ago, but even that, like I sat down and said a prayer just for a few minutes before class um, after it, and. You know, it's even thinking, I think we've talked about this too, but, you know, even that, uh, the pew that I was sitting in, like, was once a tree that, like, through the human intellect got formed into this pew for the proper worship of God. But, like, even before it was a tree, it was a seed. But in the mind of God, like, he knew that that was going to eventually be a pew that I would sit in right there, like, to feel um, how close he is to me. Right. So it's a beautiful moment. The other thing, too, just to kind of throw out there and see what if you guys have any thoughts on it. But um, so as uh, sister was praying over me, she had her hand on my shoulder. And towards the end, she started to pray, like, specifically for my heart, that it would be, like, it would be open and it would not be afraid to follow Christ wherever he calls. And she took her other hand and, like, she placed it on my chest. Like, I could feel it um, right over my heart. And it was just, I mean no idea if that's something she normally does or not but there is something about like that physical touch um i still need to take it to to more prayer honestly because it was just it was very real like that's how it, mm-hmm. i would describe it of um and realizing more and more kind of the whole experience of like um we're physical like beings like our bodies matter and that little move that she made to like pray for my heart that she would put her own hand 
over my heart. Um, you know, I don't think it's weird to say, but like it was an intimate moment yeah. with like my friend Emily and my friend John Paul. You know, um, it was beautiful. I'm kind of on a, you know, still kind of on a high, a little from spiritual it. high. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, and super appropriate to have that occurrence with the combination of the spiritual and the physical yeah. around JP two, who is the kind of the, the master um, gatherer of the language of the body, theology of the body. So like what we do with our bodies in and of themselves really have meaning to it. It's a language that we speak when we, you know, we communicate with each other through that language of the physical person. Um, and so, it, it, I mean, it seems super appropriate that you have this intimate moment with that physical contact where that's a communication. That's a communication of an idea and a truth from her body to you via physical contact, which JP2 beautifully explains so, so well. Um, yeah, one of the things I was, uh, well, one of the things I was doing for Lent was just reading through um, the Gospels and I was reading through Mark because that's the Gospel for year B that we're in. And it's the shortest of the gospel, so it's a nice one to start with. But just trying to get uh, at the behest of my spiritual director, um, just a, a clearer picture of who Jesus is to me, you know, um, with the things we have about his earthly self when he was um, walking around here among us, you know, what kind of person Jesus is, you know, is revealed in how he is with his mm-hmm. disciples and people like that. And, um, I mean, he is a certain way with each one of us. And I mean, one of the things we've emphasized is that he's a real person who has, you know, real love that's very specific for each of us real people. And it's not just an abstract idea. Um, you know, even your thing about the heart, the human heart, you know, we don't literally mean your, you know, the pump that gets blood to your extremities and back to your lungs. And we're talking about the center of your being, the center of your person, which is not a physical place. Mm-hmm. But yet it means something when um, somebody puts their hand over your literal heart, that this is sort of the core of your being Mm. in a physical way. And the thing that struck me just today as I was reading through um, Jesus entering Jerusalem and then going ape on the people in the temple and (laughs) um, just some of the stuff he was saying that undoubtedly got him killed, you know, these things that were kind of um, speaking from authority and not afraid of you know, who heard it and who was offended and stuff like that. And um, his specific role uh, that he knew in his heart uh, to be the son of God. And then he's with his friends in Bethany, you know, which now I know from having gone to the Holy Land that it's, it's just over the hill, just over the Mount of Olives from Jerusalem. Mm. So it's like a, you know, half a day's walk to get to Bethany, which is where Lazarus lived, Mary and Martha, um, his sisters. Um, and then he's at this house of Simon the leper who is somebody he healed, presumably, and uh, now he hangs out with when he's in Jerusalem in town for the feasts. And he must know that he's on his way to the cross, yet he takes this time with his friends, you know. And this woman out of nowhere breaks open a huge jar of nard, (laughs) whatever that is, like this fragrant uh, ointment, and just dumps the whole thing all over him while he's sitting there with his friends. Um, and just as I was reading that part, it was like one of those sort of overwhelming consolation type of things like, whoa, I don't even know what's happening here, Mm -hmm. but 
feeling, um, putting myself in Jesus's place in the thing, like almost by reflex. It wasn't like I was trying to do some Lexio and I was just reading the, reading the Bible, you know? Um, and all of a sudden it was like, I was getting this stuff poured all over me, you know? Um, because here he was with people who he had saved, you know, uh, that he'd healed this leper and this woman must have known him. And, and these are the people that really get him and get what he's doing and love him. And they're anointing him, you know, and there's people there, there's the naysayers that are like, we could have sold that oil, that oil or whatever and given it to the poor. And Jesus is like, no, you know what? You don't get it. Um, wherever the gospel is preached, this deed will be preached, you know? Mm. And down through the 2,000 years since then, we still know about this woman who broke the nard over his head and anointed him before he went to his uh, death. And I don't know, it's like, as a priest now, what's so beautiful, I think Pope Francis said this, that the the people anoint the priest. Um I don't know who said this, that the, that the glory of the priest is the holiness of his people. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, as a priest, that's what you want, is the good of, of your spiritual children, the, the flock, you know? You're the shepherd, and you just take care of them. But then the way that they love you in return, um, and how Jesus has this plan for me specifically, and you guys, and everybody, um, to kind of unlock who we really are. You know, and to your point about John Paul, um, just a Polish priest, you know, he was a talented actor, a talented athlete, charismatic guy. But, you know, those guys in some ways are a dime a dozen. Sure. But it was because he gave that all up and followed Jesus wherever he uh, went, which it was, you know, Emily's prayer for you, sister's prayer for you. Mm-hmm. She would not be afraid to go wherever he led you that um he was able to, that, that the glory shone through, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's the word that's, that's uh, stuck with me in this prayer was that glory, you know? And Sherry Waddell the other day when she's talking about discipleship and how Simon didn't know that Peter was in there. Yeah. And Agnes didn't know that Mother Teresa was in there. When these people were just, you know, like anybody else, um, you know, Mother Teresa, when she was a young nun, wasn't, wasn't she saying that her superior couldn't trust her to light the altar candles? Like she yeah. just was kind of a screw up. Yeah. And now she is, you know, the saint, the, the modern, like, model of sanctity. Sure. Um, that she went to the, the lowest depth. She, she went wherever Jesus led, him, led her. Mm-hmm. Um, and the glory that accompanies that, you know, um, you know, it's not like we, our model of, of holiness is not like breast beating, I'm such a terrible person, and I, I'm just like... Oh, God only does things when I get out of the way and like that kind of piety. Okay, I get it. You know, you're trying to say that this is all God. It's not me, but he anoints us, you know, he gives us gifts and then he just plugs them into a source of boundless energy and love um, to do this mission that's soaked in meaning, you know, that those who get it, you know, those at Bethany around Jesus who, who are like with it, even though they might not be able to articulate it, and give you every theological reason of like how this going to the cross is going to, you know, be vicarious penal substitution. And he's going to, you know, objectively redeem us from sin and death and, and all the technical language that thousands of years of reflection on the mystery can tell us, but they know Jesus, you know? Yeah. And when you are 
every baptized person is another Christ. A priest in a specific and a, and a poignant way is another Christ in celebration of the Eucharist, forgiveness of sins, uh, ministering to people in their need. Yeah. But every baptized Christian has this destiny, you know? In every Agnes, there's a Mother Teresa. In every Carol Waitila, there's a John Paul II, you know? And that is exciting. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, oh, yeah, it's electric. I mean, it because you don't have to... It's a story that is too good for us to come up with on our own. Right. In each individual person. Your you, life has a story that's better than you know yet. Or you could imagine right. yet, even. Um, and if you, like, you realize more and more that, like, it is, you know, we do have freedom in it to say yes, but we also have, like, people helping us along the way that we know about or maybe we don't know about. Um, but they're helping us along. And even when you were talking about <clears throat> that beautiful story from the the gospel and, uh, you know, when she breaks the nard over, you know, over Jesus and anoints him there, like there's just such a wastefulness to it mm-hmm. of like everything she has is going to give him glory. And it's not to like put herself down or to lose herself it's to find herself i i wrote my master's paper on joseph peeper's theory of festivity mm-hmm. and he talks about how, how festival this is from a you know uh philosophical perspective but like for a true festival to take place it has to be wasteful and so you cannot um you know you have to be giving something up that you could be like producing or being productive Mm-hmm. in order to truly call something a festival. And I, I was even relating when you were talking, Baron the other day talked about when uh, Thomas got asked, what does God do all day? Thomas Thomas's response was, um, he's rejoicing all day long. That's what he does is he rejoices in his creation and he comes to save it. Um, but it was just cool because we get to participate in that. And like our days can be um, really rejoicing all the time, no matter the circumstances or um, like whatever type of suffering we're in. Um, But it's because what you were saying is that this story that's unfolding as, you know, Carol Watiwa was becoming John Paul II, like that's awesome. We could not write that on our own. Right, but we get to participate in it, and it's something that we we also can't write on our own, you know. Like, we, and it's not our job to write that on our own. We just have to live, like, in every Father Connor, there's a sea bisque, you know, <laughs> or every Rob, there's a juice, and every Mike, there's a Mike. But <laughs> the, I, I mean, it's like the it's it's so cool because we do get to participate in it, and even looking like from both of your stories that you get to see um, like all of creation in a sense come to this point where you get to glorify God and like take delight in him enjoying all three of you being there together. And like this tree, that's an aspect of creation and everything, all the elements that go into making the seminary have all come to this head where there's a moment where you get to rejoice and glorify God. And it's the whole idea of enlightening um, the material world, seeing the substance, the depth to what we what we see with our eyes. But I think it's just so perfect with John Paul because 
he was such a human being. Like mm-hmm. his his humanly qualities, which we hear about all the time in the seminary, were such an effective bridge for people to cross. Um, and I think that story just articulates that so well of him being such an attractive person that it was almost impossible to not want to cross the bridge, you mm-hmm. know, where uh, he, he's just luring people with the goodness of the gospel embodied in who he is, mm-hmm. um, that you couldn't help but fall in love with the guy. You couldn't help but run after him. I mean, this is the whole thing with Jesus. You couldn't help but give everything away of breaking the nard over Jesus mm-hmm. and wasting everything, you know? And that's that's the goodness that we are invited to live into and in that it's it's bigger than us, but it's also uh, totally involved in us. So in a way, it's like all about, today was all about you, Rob, in a sense. Like everything was about you glorifying God today. But in another sense, it wasn't about you at all. It was kind of all about everyone else participating in it and all about God. So it's this weird paradox that we get to um, totally delight in. And really, you can't put your finger on it exactly, mm-hmm. but that's also part of the mystery of it, you know? Well, because here's the thing. being ca- this, is, this is so uniquely Catholic, and it's not just because it's weird. Anybody else would be weirded out by a vial of some dude's blood. I love that, dude. That is... That is kind of true. And we're you telling I mean? a story. We're we're delighting in a story about a vial of blood. But but this is why relics and like I didn't grow up with any of this stuff and sure um, that's sort of like very whatever physical Catholicism was not on display for me as a kid. But um, I get it because it's it's a question of uh, sacramentality. You mm-hmm. know, just yeah. the same way as a nun putting her hand over your over your heart and praying for your heart is a sacramental act, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's a physical, you know, action that carries an invisible, non-physical, uh, reality. Sure. So we say that about the Eucharist. Okay. So we have all received, um, the body and blood of Christ. And we, we don't mean that allegorically or, or, you know, like it's as if we were, you know, doing that because look, we're all sharing and we're remembering how nice a guy Jesus was to die for us. It's, like, no, we, we believe that the, the divine is penetrating um, the material realm uh, that we have one foot in, you know? We are these um, embodied angels in a way, you know, that, that have a spiritual eye to see the spiritual reality, to see heaven even here on earth if we're not clouded um, by looking down too much at the, through our other eye at earthly reality. You know, you can, and I've had these moments where you, you're at either celebrating the Eucharist or in adoration of the Eucharist where you're like, yes, okay, I see it. You know, I see God's love communicated through this really simple piece of bread. It mm-hmm. looks like a piece of bread, but this is um, shot through with divine transcendent love. Um, and Carol Waitula, he consumed that Eucharist many, many times and was transformed by it to the point where even his physicalness, his physical being, um, carries with it a certain power, you know, um, that a vial of his blood and a hand over a heart can really penetrate your heart, you know, Mm -hmm. on, on the spiritual level. Um, this is, this is Catholicism. We're not just, um, pieces of garbage that God covers over, with his uh, grace and his mercy. 
we are transformed from the inside out, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, and this is, this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately that like in a way, the Protestant reformation with its sort of total depravity and who are we, um, to pretend to be earning any merit in God's sight. We're just, you know, these sinful fallen creatures and God's merciful enough to let us into heaven through the back door because Christ was totally obedient when we couldn't be. Okay. That's a, you know, bastardized version of whatever most reformed soteriology of how Jesus saves us is, is basically like he just says you're saved because you believe in me, but nothing actually happens to change you. Um, and in a way it's, it's related to like sort of the liberal theology movement, which says, who are we to make objective statements about, you know, dogma and stuff like that. Our human language is so conditioned by history and our, own narrow formulations and categories of thinking you know what's really important is that we have some religious feeling you know and whatever you believe as long as you feel connected to the transcendent then that that, that's it you know but we're like no that's just not good enough neither of those things are good enough because god is better than that he's not so limited by his infinity that he can't become limited both by being in us in our fallenness and live through us and transform us or even to transform and like live in our language. And so we say, God is three persons and one God, you know? Oh, well, that's just us like trying to get at the mystery. And maybe it's sometimes, but you know, we, we might have to like throw that away at some point if we find something else that gets us a better religious feeling or closer to like the transcendent religious sentiment or whatever. Like, no, actually God has blessed these words, the Bible, the sacraments, and each one of us to like make, uh, creation, uh, both material and spiritual, just glow with divine fire, you know? And so the saints are those, like, white-hot flames, you know, that have totally let it in. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Down.